Through the day and past the night. Welcome back to Inside Out with Turner and Seth. Thank you all for coming back and checking us out here. That was the Black Angels, a band I've just recently... I was aware of them before, but I have fallen in love with this band just by researching them. And very, very excited to play our extensive interview. By far, I've got to say, for me, it was one of the best interviews we've done yet. Okay, I'll take that. Thank you. Well, <laughs> it just was a great interview. Really excited to share it with you all. Um, you know, I didn't really know so much about this band either, and, and being able to uh, check them out um, really discovered a lot. Yes, they were in town to play a festival, and uh, they're working on their next album, and they also uh, have their own festival, which is uh, one of the two main reasons that Seth bonded with them so much. Uh, because they, 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 they actually had a tough year with their festival. It's a very ambitious festival called the Levitation Festival. They had to cancel it because I don't know if you heard, but there was some really nasty rain in Texas uh, about a month ago, and it uh, took this festival down, and they explained everything that went on with that. So it's a, it's a very interesting interview, but we don't want to go on too long here because it's a long interview. We, we do go on long in the interview. Yes, but it's a great... I, I loved it. It was a great time, but we got a few things to mention. We have some thank yous. We've got a couple thank yous. Uh, people have stepped up and helped us out. and we This really show would not be possible without the help of our friends. We're people very like, fortunate. People like Robert Kwan, who has helped us engineer uh, some of our interviews. Sound audio engineer extraordinaire. And just a great guy, fun guy to hang out with. Um, Mr. Josh Thane from Wonder Dog Studios. A studio here outside or inside of Atlanta, Georgia. It's an excellent studio. They've done a lot of great work, and you can see samples of them at Southern Side Co. on YouTube. Southern Side Co., all one word. And we'll have more uh, tips and heads up on them, and um, we've got some things we want to do with Wonder Dog, but we'll, we'll bring that out later. And Terminal West has housed us now for three interviews and has, has, wel- has said we're welcome for more. Um, looking forward to doing more there. They've been very kind and very helpful, and uh, it's kind of becoming a home away from home for me over there. Yeah, they're great. Such great shows. I'm like, I'm very excited about the Built to Spill show coming up. Unfortunately, I don't. Doesn't look like we're gonna have an interview with Doug on this round, but maybe next time through. Yeah, I get, I'm gonna. Have, I'm also missing them this time since we're not getting an interview. I what did I? I'm going to Claypool Lennon Delirium in Athens because I'm just cu- so curious, and I have a feeling that act is gonna be just in bigger rooms moving forward. This they're not even really promoting this tour that much. Totally has the feel of a warm-up tour. They're playing the Georgia Theater. I think this is going to be a larger room act than the Georgia Theater, so I'm seizing the moment and driving to Athens and seeing them uh, a week from tonight. Hey, speaking of surprises, Rob, do you like surprises? I, oh, God, I love surprises, Seth. You know that. Who was our uh, episode with that we released last week, which, we, which is actually episode five? We uh, jumped, you know, we went to six and then to five. We did the Abbey Road, Let It Be thing. Yes, we did, but uh, who was that with? Spike, Brian Bukowski. From? Terrapin. 
Terrapin Beer Company, also excellent brewery, brewery also, in Athens, Georgia. Also, who happened to be our first sponsor? Oh, is that right? Yes, I got the email. Excuse me, got the email just a little bit ago. Terrapin is going to sponsor us. Uh, if I was a bartender, I'd ring a bell. Ding 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 ding. ding. So, uh, yeah. But let's get right exciting. to it, dude. Yeah, let's get let's jump into it, Rob. Uh, outside of going to see Chris Stapleton at the Turner Field, where home of the Braves or a former home of the Braves, soon. What's going on? What do you got for us? Uh, well, you know, I've done a lot of great stuff. Looking forward to a lot of stuff, but we have such a long interview, long thing. I went at it. I know. I was really. Uh, I'm not the biggest Dave Matthews Band fan, but I really was knocked out Saturday night. I went because my wife really wanted to see him before the hiatus, and you didn't get kicked out of the venue. I didn't get kicked out. Didn't have to pay. She she took care of anything because that's a venue I'm never going to pay at again because of a horrible horrible security at Fish last year. But we'll get into that in a future episode. But um, let's talk about this thing in Indio, California. Seth. Oh, you want to talk about Coachella? Uh, or as I call it, Coachella? No, it's um. <laughs> is it, you call it? So okay, for let's just first of all, Rob always Turner here always is calling it. He's like, are you going? Are you guys working Coachella? It seems like it should be Coachella. I've always called it that. I think the reason why is because you're like, it's like near L.A. It's like, are you going to Coachella? Coachella. But I'm actually talking about desert trip, or as everybody says, old Chella. Old Chella. And I think it's hilarious the amount of people who have said to me that they think they invented the name old Chella when it's like the most obvious nickname ever. It's like, how could that possibly clever? It's, it's old bands oh, at the Coachella okay. site. Old Chella. It's called Comedy by Numbers. There's nothing creative in that oh, nickname. in my day, I remember old whippersnappers used to have a Chella, and I, there's not going to, I just want to have to buy. I'm actually cranking up my wheelchair, and I'm thinking about doing a Wheels Across America uh, trip out there, and we could do podcast. I could stop, and, and, and tr- you know, you could track my progress along the way. But anyways, in case any of you don't know, it's the Rolling Stones, it's Paul McCartney, it's Neil Young, it's Bob Dylan, Dylan, it's Roger Waters, Sands, Gilmore. Oh, if it was Waters, Gilmore, that would make the whole thing. And the who? And the who. Oh, I know. I meant who. And the who. And who? And it's at um, the site for Coachella. And uh, it's interesting, some of the recent developments, Indio, the town in which Coachella is being held. is Also, Coachella, Stagecoach. I mean, this is uh, Golden Voice, uh, which is owned and operated the by t- AEG. The 2009 Fish uh, Destination Festival. That was there as well, yeah. Where they uh, did an acoustic set. Some, some of those trade ballads that I am not always excited about were much better when played, performed acoustic when you're surrounded by mountains. Also, we got the set. Uh, it's where a they, beautiful. I mean, come on. Listen, man. It's a really I've, nice I've site. I've worked a couple events there, and i got to tell you, it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful site. Great place. I mean, and then and then you've got, you know, just the, it's like so scenic you, you, that that area is just so you feel like you're in like a. Like in in the Hollywood stage set, you know, it's just just it's so real, just crazy. It's beautiful. And while there's a lot of hotels there, there's not really enough. No, I mean, I've I've stayed at a bunch of rental houses. Uh, throughout right, my and years that's there. the first thing I'm getting to. Oh, the the town is really making it clear that whether you're a short term or long term lender of your house, a you're renter, pay. you've got to obtain a business license and a business license and a permit. Wait, you mean if 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 like a. Yeah, what do you call this? Someone wants to just rent a house for a month? Right. The community wants to benefit from the 13% transient occupancy tax, which is also called the bed tax, which I swear, I think I paid a few of those in college. Bed taxes aren't cheap. Yeah, that, that also, also, you know, the old there, disease there, 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 called, uh, what was that disease called you there, got there, in there, college? There, 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 there. 
crabs, was it? Or is that no? Because you you like lobsters, I know, but I think it was crabs that you got. Anyway, that's besides the point. So now with Desert Trip, and now I I read that there's a there's been approval for a sixty two thousand person expansion to Coachella, and I I, well, I immediately it's, it's, it's not a camping event there. It's just it's right. It's just it's maybe I believe they have RVs. So I'm not a hundred percent sure. I I don't but. The setup isn't like multiple stages. It's like a concert bowl. Like they're making a festival, but concert bowl. What's the capacity at Coachella? Because they know. sell out. Uh, I'm going to guess what? 80,000? 80, so when it they might have 80,000, but then they have like another 100,000 people that are just there to be there that aren't even at the festival. They're at the pool parties, etc. So a 62,000 person expansion, does that mean this is going to be 140,000 attendance in, in coming years? I don't That's know. That's insane. Yeah, Anyways. Um, you know, they've had, uh, they have 219 short-term rental permits now and 136 were, uh, listed last year. These so these aren't, these aren't just people going for the weekend, the renting a house. You're talking about like the staff and everything like that rentals. I would imagine you would want your staff there. Although the time we worked there for the fish thing, they put us up in a mind boggling, luxurious hotel. That was yeah. wonderful. Yeah. It was a resort. It was like a resort hotel. That was really beautiful. But most of the time, most of the events I've done. Uh, there we would, my staff would stay at like a rental house, be there for two, three, four weeks, depending on the amount of events we did. So I understand this crackdown. Um, they, they wanted the revenue and they deserve it. It's it, their community and whatever. And they also, uh, unregistered homes provide no safety net if there are rowdy tourists and all that sort of stuff. Oh man. I remember trying to get a house a couple of years ago for one of the events we did. And, uh, and it was like, it, it, the, the, you know, they, they canceled it on us. We're like, you can't cancel this. We need it. And they're like, well, you know, there's all these stipulations. And they were so worried. And the woman's like, you know, this is my condo. Like, I don't want to rent it out to a bunch of partiers. I'm like, we are employees. We're working the event. Like, this is our job. We're, we're not going to ruin your place. But the it was, um, yeah. It well, was as is often the case, you know, they, the, the, the local police make some good points. But as, as is often the case, when local police get around major events, they take it a little too far and, and wander into the bullshit. Mm-hmm. And here's a quote from what I would consider is the bullshit. Having a list of unlicensed rentals allows police to view a kind of map of where they'll be needed during busy tourist times, even providing them with details such as house size and whether there's a pool that can hint at whether the location could turn into a, into a party pad. They can plan for excess traffic and more enforcement measures. It sounds like they're anticipating problems too, a little too much. But for Ocella or Coachella? Yeah, well, I think for everything. But, I mean, is, is really a, a pool party going to create traffic problems? That's oh, ridiculous. Yeah, no, oh, my God. Do you realize, like, some of these pool parties at Coachella? They're, there's, like, you know, what? I don't oh, know, this is a busybody local be. police force trying to fle- flex their muscles a little too much. Yeah, Come on. This is silly. Yeah, you, you, you don't know, Rob. I mean, these pool parties get pretty crazy. They're Two like, more things. The Los Angeles Times busted Golden Voice, the one putting this on, with a little bait-and-switch thing. That initially, when you bought general admission tickets, you were told you could bring chairs and, and um, blankets and so forth. And now they're saying, no, you can't. So there's this one woman who paid just under $1,700 for four tickets, who then, after the fact, found out she couldn't bring her chairs, and she, she doesn't want to, you know, I, I hope it doesn't turn into one e before the widespread. I mean, Standing room only. Before widespread, the Almond Brothers were headlining Wani, and you would have the chairs right up to the stage, and the Almond Brothers fans would put them down, and then a lot of them would disappear for the whole day, except the Almonds, because no offense, I love the Almonds and I love their fans, but a lot of them don't have you know real broad taste in music; they just want the seats for the Almonds. Widespread panic takes over Wani, and there's a space at the front, which is cool. So people who just want to see one or two bands early on, they can get up to the front and stand and not be blocked. Well, if well, they are blocking people, but whatever. 
get off my tarp. Don't you think musicians want do, do musicians want to look out at people dancing and responding to their music or staring at them like they're on TV? What do you think, Seth? Well, it depends. But musicians, I mean, everything's a little different. Sometimes musicians do want uh, people dancing. Other times they want them paying close attention. So Golden Voice has acknowledged the change but declined to talk about it. So as exciting as this festival is, it also is kind of a microcosm of of some of the problems of big-time rock and roll and why I don't like large-scale concerts anymore. They don't really care about the fan all that much. And for those of you who don't know, they sold the first weekend, and when they went on sale for the first weekend, they ended up going on sale for the second weekend, the same event going back-to-back. Oh, excuse me. I didn't realize you had an outline. My apologies. But then there's this one's a little close to home, my friend. Roger Waters. People are are pissed off that Roger Waters is playing because of some of his comments about Israel. I don't know if any of you have have heard, but he not only he's anti-Israel and he uh, actually encourages artists not to to play in Israel, which maybe that's a little over the line. But the bottom line is, is anybody else sick to death of this country? Just if you hear something you don't agree with, you want to silence them, you want to boycott them. Just calm down, people. Let people have their opinions. Take their opinions, but don't try to take their livelihood or their jobs away from them. Just shut the hell up and let have your opinions. Don't be so freaking overwhelmed by other people's opinions. Roger Waters is a great bassist who has a great body of work. If he's got his head up his ass about Israel, okay. That's his problem. That's not ours. Right? I, got a, I got an opinion about that. Well, I tell you what. The, do you know who Bruce Langartner is? I do not. Well, as Larry David says in Curb Your Enthusiasm, you're a lousy Jew. Because he's the CEO of the Jewish Federation. Oh. And he says, don't boycott, but take the time to educate yourself on the issues and make an informed decision. God bless this guy. Let's have some more of that in America. Stop silencing people and start educating, educating people and letting people have their opinion, especially on college campuses. But I get off my, uh, get off my soapbox. Let's get into what our listeners want, which is our very lengthy but very interesting interview with the Black Angels. They have tour dates coming up. Who? They're playing... Uh, the in, Black Angels. The Black Angels. They're playing in Houston at the Free Press Summer Festival on June 4th. Free Press. Great festival, by the way. If, you, if you're anywhere in that Texas area, I say get a T-bone and head on down. The Release Festival in Athens, Greece, June 13th. Greece. I know we have one, at least one listener in Greece, right? By the way, our numbers have been going up, which is great. Thank you so much. Our, twi- our Twitter numbers are, are holding, but our listener numbers are up. So you new listeners, please follow us on Twitter. Inside Out, WTNS. Uh, and they're in October at Desert Days, Joshua Tree, California. Have you ever worked Desert Days, Seth? Have not. I will say, though, listen, man, Black Angels, their music, if you've never listened to them, stop, pause this, go on Spotify, and then come back, because they are bringing such a unique sound. I really like the sound within sound. I like, I like when you get that, that thickness. Well, I grew up on 60s psychedelic music. I was I really immersed myself in that. And um, these guys are taking it and dragging it up into modern times. And as we talk, we, uh, as you'll learn in the interview, 13th floor elevators predate any of these uh, Bay Area bands that I treasure and many of us do. But they, they uh, it started in Austin, a lot of this type of music. And these guys are carrying it on in the future. And that's a lot of what their festival is about as well. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, we now present to you... The Black Black Angels!
We are very fortunate to be sitting here with two members of the band that uh, purveys the North American drone and roll music. We have <laughs> Christian Bland and Alex Moss of the Black Angels. Thank yeah. you so much for being with us. Thank yeah, you. Thanks, thanks for having us. us. Yeah, definitely welcome. You know, I uh, put a lot of research into these interviews going in, and one thing I noticed time and time again is that you guys seem often more excited to talk about your festival than even your own work. Um, <laughs> and that's, that's an honorable thing. I mean, it's called the Levitation Festival. It was originally called the Psych Fest. That's right. Originally called Austin Psych Fest. And what year did that start? started in 2008. Which is interesting, because at that time, you guys only had a couple albums out, and were just getting your start yourselves, right? Yeah, we had two albums out, Passover and Directions to See a Ghost. That's pretty bold, that early in your career, to uh, start a festival. Can you talk yeah, about that? It, uh, the idea was just to have a psychedelic party uh, the weekend before South by Southwest. So we had been touring for, I guess, about two years, probably, around the United States, maybe two and a half years. We met so many bands just around the U.S. that we wanted to invite our friends for a weekend before South by and uh, like pay them a little money to come early. And, um, and yeah, it was a Saturday. It was March 8th, uh, 2008. And, um, it was 11 bands and yeah, it was just a Saturday at this red barn up in North Austin that we thought was going to be a psychedelic venue, like from here on out, from there on out. But, the, the owner was like, man, you guys can't stay. You guys are too crazy. <laughs> you guys are too wild, yeah. man. The police were there like the whole time. Yeah, act, yeah. Is, it true, is it true, though, he misunderstood and he thought it was a psychic festival? And well, this like, happened later. This, uh, yeah, I guess when the festival actually became an outdoor festival, there were a group of people that were in town for a psychology festival and they showed up and <laughs> so one of them had uh, come up to got led to one of our other business partners James who does the video side of things and I'm not sure if he got video of them or not but they were like man there's a lot of people here for the psych festival you know this is really interesting you guys just pull so many kind of like strange people for this thing and we never knew how big this was going to that our festival is going to be their festival. And uh, <clears throat> we're like, ah, you guys are in the wrong area. You're, you're, <laughs> yours is on your side of town. But, um, we you're in the wrong place, my friend. <laughs> you better leave. But no, stay. Uh, but we, we actually, you know, it's funny. I think James Oswald flies to California and films their festival, their psych, psychology oh. festival. Now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that relationship continued, which is That's kind of funny. cool. Is. Kind of interesting. Gigs are everywhere. Yeah, they are. So um, the, the festival has grown. For example, uh, last year, the legendary 13-floor elevators, which, by the way, do you guys ever run into people from San Francisco or people who are fans of bands from, from San Francisco who are surprised that actually psychedelic rock started in Austin with the 13-floor elevators? Oh, all the time. Yeah, yeah. I always like to stress that, that <laughs> Austin was the birthplace of psychedelic rock and roll. The name was coined by, by Roki, right? But, yeah. It was. I mean, there's like there's some debate about psychedelic rock starting in London, or it, there was another band I think that came up with that kind of terminology. But somebody in the local Austin papers called it psychedelic rock and roll, and then you know, then they rolled with that. Boom! And there it was. Yeah. But this festival, I mean, you've had uh, the zombies, the Dandy Warhols. 
Did you reunite the Jesus and Mary Jane too, or were they already reunited? Um, I guess we. I don't know. I mean, I think that they were already maybe doing a, a Psycho Candy tour, but we might have had a little hand in helping to to get that going. <laughs> uh, the Black Lips. I saw Atlas Sound, but no Deer Hunter. Has Deer Hunter played it? Uh, f- mm. f- did we do Deer Hunter last year? You gotta have. Them. I feel like they did play. Uh, oh, you know what man. happened? I think they they were Deer Hunter. I think they were supposed to play last year. The day it rained really hard, and we had to cancel an hour of the festival. And I think that was their hour. Ouch! <laughs> you just gotta have them back. And they and, and they were supposed to play a, yeah. uh, like Fun Fun Fest the year before, and they got rained out that year. Because I remember two years in a row, they they kind of got gypped. The fans got gypped. <clears throat> but the Black Lips, there's an Atlanta band. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, that, that is one. Yeah, one of our favorites. But um, last year, the 13th floor elevators reunited for the first time in forever. Yeah, uh, I think 50 years, maybe, maybe a little, maybe like 48 years. That's but just incredible. Yeah, yeah, that, that 48 was... years, two months, 17 yeah. hours, and 42. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the nice. rookie I mentioned is Rookie Erickson, the founding member. Well, uh, Tommy Hall's the, f- oh, the founding uh, member. Yeah. Right. Well, the founding members were, I mean, originally Stacy Sutherland and uh, John Ike Walton were in a band called the Lingsmen. Uh, I think they were. They played in Corpus Christi. They're from Kerrville, Texas, but uh, they they played like a summer in Corpus Christi, and then Tommy Hall came down there and saw them. So those three were kind of the original, and then they went to Austin and saw. Rocky playing in a band called The Spades, and they asked him, they kind of stole Rocky from The Spades, and then the 13th Floor Elevators were born in 1965. And Rocky's a legend, and you guys met him at an ice cream social, seriously? We at- did. He, he has a, a ice cream social every South by Southwest. Oh, he yeah. hosts the social. Uh, his, his, his people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it's one cool party. It's one yeah. cool party. <laughs> yeah, they, they actually, from that, I, f- I feel like that's when they asked us to be Rocky's backing band. And uh, we looked at it as, well, first of all, we're like, yeah, absolutely, of course. And we looked at it as this opportunity to bring the elevators back then we were just like, man, how cool would it be if we just, you know, learn the rest of the elevator songs we don't already know, and this will be the resurgence of the 13th floor elevators, like us being them and Rocky, you know, being the singer. And, um, of course, you know, he has other songs, you know, that kind of 80s, the 80s stuff that he does, and um, we weren't too familiar with that kind of stuff. Um, like Two-Headed Dog and Night of the Vampire and all these great songs, we just weren't, you know they weren't in our wheelhouse necessarily. Um, so when we, when we got asked to do this, we're like, all right, cool. Can we play all elevator songs? And you know, their manager was like, well, we wanted to kind of, you know, showcase this other part of his, his world. And we were just like, you know, our sites were scoped on, on all elevator stuff. I remember that being kind of like, honestly, a little bit kind of bummed out, you know, when we had to learn these other songs, but the, our sound mixed with the 80, the eighties two headed dog sound, it kind of, to me, if I were to describe it, sounded like something off like white light, white heat or something. Cause it had a rock and roll thing happening, but with these, with well-written songs. Yeah. Alex and I had gone and and seen Rocky play uh, at, I guess, Austin city limits. Mm. And he only did two 13th floor songs. Uh, you're going to miss me and splash one. And so we wanted to try to, like, our goal was to do the first five songs on the first album. Yeah. And that's what we ended up doing. And 
we had to kind of reteach him uh, reverberation, roller coaster, and don't fall down. And uh, it was interesting because we tried to do that electrically as a band, and then he got frustrated. He was was he reluctant at first to do them? Yeah, he was reluctant because oh, yeah. he hadn't played them. He he told us he hadn't played them in thirty years, so he didn't really remember them. So we invited him to our house and sat down and um, had like the uh, the music, the words, and the chords in front of him, and we played acoustically, and then built back up into playing electrically. And so we got all five of them down, and so we would play those five, and then play uh, Rocky solo songs but it was really it was cool i actually recorded uh, a session about an hour-long session of uh our one of our old bandmates nate and i reteaching him um a couple of the songs and it's pretty interesting yeah maybe one day yeah we'll release that a box set it's like in yeah. our living, it's just in our living room yeah <clears throat> that's cool well, we talk about festivals a lot on the show, and I know that you, you have the uh, Reverberation Appreciation Society, which is basically you guys and, and a, an old friend named Rob. And uh, two others, two James them. Oswald and Rob Fitzpatrick. So you have your hands in on the booking. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. We have a master list of, of bands that we have had since the barn, the Red Barn, and we never knew how big this would be. You know, you know, it was always kind of like we knew that no one else was doing this type of thing. We knew it was more of a niche festival, you know, and we looked at uh we looked at bands like I mean, we looked at festivals like All Tomorrow's Parties and we're like, That is a cool festival. Look yes. how great the music is and, and it became about just really getting really cool music. And interesting music. Completely non corporate as well. Right, yeah. Which is, you know, a fine line. You know what I mean? Because if <clears throat> if the Black Keys wanted to play our festival We'd say yes, you know, and I'm not saying they're a corporate band, but they are one of the biggest bands in the world. But as a as a festival owner, you'd probably you'd be dumb not to have a huge band come play, you know, and like. Um, but yeah, and then I but, mean, as far as sponsors, as far as far as sponsors go, we're 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 really kind of we are picky about who we who we have uh, brand our festival, you know. Um, we were in, in partnership this year with Real Ale, which is a local com- beer company and somebody that we could really stand behind as being like, you know, this is a really cool local beer company. Um, um, but yeah, as far as the whole corporate thing, and, you know, we've tried to make it always just feel like it's just this festival th- thrown by, you know, the community, mm-hmm. you know. Well, when you guys um, when you guys decided to start this, was it something that you said, hey, we got this idea? Did you go out and find a company to to help make it happen, or did you guys literally just no. say, "Hey, we can we we know how to put on a show, so let's just make it a very big show"? Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, I, it was our experience of touring, I think, and I'm um, you know seeing how shows were run, and I mean, I, we just really just wanted to have a fun time with like bands that we enjoyed. It's it's it was pretty much just like our dream scenario of trying to invite bands that that we liked to come to austin um yeah and in a way it was like just our it was a little selfish like okay yeah. let's just bring these bands our that we really band. like to, yeah. to austin so we can watch them like yeah. bands you'd have to wait for three years <laughs> yeah. they, you see them yeah. here or there and you get them all in one place at one time yes yeah, like ravenettes brian jones the massacre black rebel club all yeah. in one spot okay you know all these bands were on you know we had this master list from like Everything that was like Radiohead's on it, right? Radiohead's uh, on it. Lou Reed was on it. David Bowie yeah. was on it. I mean, <laughs> you know, John Cale is on it. Porter said all these bands, Ooh, you know, Porter just said. kind of like 
<clears throat> but yeah, it is. A, it can't. It was a, a selfish thing for us in the beginning of, of being like, yeah, we want all our, our favorite bands in the one spot. Yeah, well, it's got. I mean, as the listeners probably don't realize, yeah, if you take a step back and you think about a band on tour, they're a band on tour. They don't get to see all the other bands on tour that come to your town. So yeah. something like this, I could see it makes a lot of sense. It's probably very rewarding in that. But now with the festivals, uh, there's a whole community of people that work festivals. How did you guys approach going ahead and getting people to get involved in your festival to help, not just with production, but you know, artist relations, hospitality, yeah. your, you know, all, those, all those pieces that come together with a the festival? There's a lot of festivals. You'll see the same people working festival yeah. to festival. So did you pick for people? In, from... in the beginning, yeah, we cherry-picked people. We're like, oh, she's really good, you know, with the hospitality at the Hotel Vegas, and that guy is really good at like kicking people out of the show. <laughs> and the, the, all these people, all these sound people we know, and you know, and we we did have some help. Um, this guy, uh, Jason Hicks, who um, also ran a um, a venue called Austin Music Hall, he had um, a handle on like security, like you know, um, thing like uh, f- a fence company, and it was just people that we were just kind of asking. It's like, how can we get this done? Yeah, and also early on, this company in town called Transmission, who owns uh, Mohawk um, and uh, there's several venues around town. They had helped us early on. The second year, they helped us get a venue. The third year, we used the Mohawk, and um, and we st- we're still partnered with them. Well, up until to this, this year. Up, up to this yeah. year. Um, yeah, we, we realized that after we had kind of... <clears throat> we kind of been getting collecting these a group a big group of people to help us run this festival that's just like you know the four of us had you know could not do without these people and then we realized that even that was too much and so in 2015 and 16 we hired transmission to help on the production end mm-hmm. so we could just didn't have to deal with it um and um it was extremely helpful in 2015 because we had we almost got rained out in 2015 and uh, we had to basically move our entire festival um, CAD, which is basically where the stage where, where the stages are going within t- like t- like forty eight hours. Oh we, my! We had to move the entire. <laughs> so that's thing. something, by the way, that takes like months and months right. of like over yeah. and over no, and over yeah, and over. Yeah. And you have to change it in yeah. forty five minutes. And there's arguments that's about like insane. no, it should go actually like right here, dude. And, like move it just a little bit, no, no, you know, yeah. back and forth. Oh, and then like when rain comes down, you scrap, and it's like stage is going over there. <laughs> Only people can walk through this little place that doesn't have any water, and um, yeah, it was without you know without without that was really helpful to have somebody that was in event event management to yeah, help. Well, out. those those logistics now there's a lot of festivals that don't think that stuff through, and they have what's set, but they don't ever think about what happens if things shift, what happens with this, and when you get into the logistics. You know, you're you're screwing your fans if you don't think these things through. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna not name some of the festivals, but if you don't think these things through, you're really screwing your fans. They're stranded, and it's unnecessary. So you know, really yeah. having that, and then and having that team, having the right people in place to be able to, you know, to change the plan. A lot of times with traffic, you know, uh, this is I don't know if I told this story or not before, but a lot of times with traffic, you have a plan set. And then the local sheriff changes it oh, because he gets stressed about. out. He sees he sees the traffic, and the local <laughs> sheriff goes, "We're going to change this. We're going to change this because Thanks, you know gets gets all nervous." Well, they they change the plan, and it screws everything because mm-hmm. the plan was, by the way, 
to do that. And then on the, you know, on the worker side of things, you know, there's people in fields that are just waiting. Yeah. And that's their job to wait because when they get stressed, they open this, it opens that, and now there's people there to receive them. So, and then the yeah. press comes in and they blame the people who had the plan yeah. that would have worked <laughs> yeah. in the first place, but whatever, yeah. we don't want to get into that yeah. too much. That's that's always that's always the case. But this year, I'm sure you were frustrated that you you lost it this year because was it like the nastiest storm to come into Austin since the uh, 13th floor elevators were well it was, it was, it was it's been a nasty month we um our water levels were at 105 110% there were opening dams up that haven't been opened up in over 10 years damn. so damn so if you think about like any is that you that was a good one okay so in, any any water Don't encourage him any water <laughs> Any water that would have happened in North Texas, if it would have if it would have happened to rain, and then we were expecting a lot of rain, any rain that would have happened, there would have been like two thousand cubic inches per minute rushing into the Colorado River. The LCRA already said no people can camp on the river. We ha- we were expecting twenty five hundred campers on the river. Um, so with um, bad weather that was that was um, you know on the way, you know the. Uh, it was a difficult, difficult, a really difficult decision, but um, basically there could have been huge, a lot amount of fl- flash flooding. No, no one was sure if the dams could even hold the water, you know, that, that was expected to come, and uh, the the permits were pulled. For yeah, at five o'clock Thursday before Travis County said yeah. that we couldn't do it. And 20, at that point, there's nothing you can do. 22 yeah. hours before doors. Was, uh, Ouch. If you don't mind me asking, is that something where, if, you know, that's probably helpful, them doing that because of insurance? That Does insurance come I mean, in on that play or no? fuck no. I mean, sorry, but like, <laughs> yeah, no, it is helpful. Swear away, yeah. baby. <laughs> it's helpful. It's helpful for, for the, the fans to get their, their money back. Yeah, that's where, that's it's where I'm, it's helpful I'm going for artists. for the artists to all get paid, mm-hmm. you know, like people didn't even have to come, um. and you know, to and they still got paid. Brian Wilson, Ween, you know, those people can come back and still play this market and not have any kind of like supply lost mm-hmm. you know so like you know it, yes and it as is a festival producer it is you know that's why you have insurance mm-hmm. but like in terms of like you know we we really don't even know where we're at right now in terms of like you know the the festival insurance is is it's like it's never enough it's never enough to cover like you know what you could have potentially made or whatever. So, right. you know, we're just hoping and, you know, fingers crossed that the, the money is enough to cover our, 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 our sunk costs. You know? are, are you we'll, suggesting that, that next year could be in danger if not? Um, you know, I think every year, I think ever since the Red Barn, it was always in danger. <laughs> you know, it's like you think about how kind of just like, you know, everything's kind of just hanging by a string. I, I don't know if anything's like, you know, 100% certain anyway, you know, but... You make money one year to pay for the three years that you lose. Yeah, yeah. and you know, and honestly, you know, we 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 look at this, people are like, man, like, you know, why you got, you know, we've never made any money, you know, like we made, Christian, we made money one year in, in yeah, 2012, and people exactly. are like, why are you still doing this? And <laughs> it truly is a labor of love, and, and mm-hmm. we, you know, we're doing it because it brings all these people together, and, you know, it's 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 a, another selfish thing where we're, we're having our favorite bands play, and and um, getting people from all over the world, it's almost like a cultural event, mm-hmm. that's what kind of how we look at it, and um, so it's, you know, if we if we lose money and we will we already we've already you know which is obvious you know you cancel a festival you lose money but um, that hasn't stopped us before you know and it's next crazy year would be sounds. the tenth anniversary so oh wow you know we got to go all out yeah you do <laughs> we we have an onward upward mentality anyways and like I don't, it's probably it's just something that's in us so I <clears throat> um, 
I, I don't see it affecting us, you know, unless we were to lose like $30 million and we didn't win the lottery and those two, both those two things, ha- didn't ha- you know, happened, uh, it would kind of be really detrimental. I just, I, I'd love for, I'd love for us to say that, yeah, we're doing it again, but we just, we need to, we need a second to regroup and kind of figure out where, when, how, why. The why is already, we already know the why. <laughs> well, in the long-term interest of it, I was impressed how you really kept the fans informed, really were aggressive on your website. Look, we're going to get you refunds. This is yeah. a high priority. We just have to work things out. Yeah. You know, you weren't dodging and you weren't saying, oh, roll with us. You know, we, we got screwed here. You know what I mean? You're really honoring the fans and, and demonstrating your appreciation even in this moment of crisis, which I think will serve the festival in the long run. Well, thank you. And, and, yeah. I, and I, think, I think having the attitude, you know, is definitely, you know, they're always going to be haters no matter what. If you if you th- if you throw the festival and three people die, they're like you, you greedy son of a bitches. You, you, you kept you did the festival anyways, and it's just like you know you're damned if you do, damned if right, you don't. Yeah. If you don't do it, they're like you greedy guys didn't tell us about, it, and we're on a uh, plane from like Africa, and we just found out and we get here. It's like yeah, right. what I mean, like there's no there's no there's no way in hell you throw a festival if you think lives are endangered. Bottom line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if anybody really truly thinks that that was the wrong move at the end of the day, I don't want them at the festival anyways. Well, yeah, I mean, if there's mass flooding and you have thousands of people in a small area, that is a menu for dis- extreme disaster. Absolutely, exactly. yeah, it is. And I mean, it, it it is what it is. And you know, we were extremely diligent in, in letting the people know that they were going to get the refunds and everybody's, you know, and you know, the you know. What what else can you do but be positive and re you know try to reschedule shows get as many people's uh, all the bands and all the people are in town you just want to give something to them like you know there was no there was no one was more upset and disappointed and depressed than we were I I promise you the people that spent you know twenty five hours getting there you know we spent three hundred hours booking the festival you know yeah, so it's like spent a whole year trying yeah. to get it, get it together yeah. More than 300 I mean, hours. <laughs> 300 yeah. hours. In, yeah. And let's but face 300 it. days. I mean, I wanted to see Brian Wilson play Pet Sounds. Right. Uh, that was, that yeah. was pretty upsetting for yeah. me not to get to see that. And he's retiring, too, isn't he? Um, well, he's playing at the Hollywood Bowl on July 10th, so I'm going to see that before he retires. Yeah, I think people <laughs> need to realize that these guys could just tour and do their own thing and be just have a very uncomplicated, very nice life. They're, they're, this is a labor of love, so I don't know why anyone would hate on them when Absolutely. they get boxed in the corner by the weather. You, anytime you fight with the weather, the weather's probably going to win. <laughs> yeah. It, whether or not. What about the, the name change from PsychFest to Levitation? What was behind that? That was a couple years ago? Maybe yeah, not? there are a couple reasons. I mean, we, you know, there are a couple reasons why we, we, we love, I mean, we always call it PsychFest. You know, it's what it is. Yeah. I still call it that. I do too. Um, this was Austin PsychFest 9. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One of the reasons, we, st- we started seeing a bunch of people all over the place doing PsychFests, you know, and some of them were doing them uh, not exactly how we would have done them. Um, a couple of them didn't pay their people and one of them actually had uh, a similar name to one of our booking agents that that happened over in Europe and and we were like man we got to we got to like cut ties with the Psychfest everybody's throwing a Psychfest Portland Psychfest like yeah ten, Brooklyn you know, Psychfest LA Psychfest so we you know in in rebranding we really wanted to kind of you know have our own thing that was like us and people knew that's not the same rob that didn't pay you 
Mm. or Robbie or whatever the guy's name was, you know, like, you know, so like that was our kind of whole thing. And, and, and also rebranding the name of levitation. It's kind of like, you're able to trick the people to coming coming to your festival so and psych them out. You psych them out. And then you're like, <laughs> ah, this is all psychedelic music. I didn't know what I, you know, so that, you know, it, it, another, re, it's also more, um, it's, it's more attractive to sponsors, you know, whether it be a beer sponsor or, um, a psychology department. In, in uh, as, as your uh, as your audience gets older, I understand you're going to be looking for diaper sponsors. Diaper sponsors, <laughs> yeah. Um, so you know, it's it's it, it, it was also a way to honor the 13th floor elevators. Also, it's the yeah. you know, song. It's a song, song called by, you know Levitation. By the 13th floor. Ah, yeah. Did you know that? I did not. Yeah. Although they're named after a Velvet Underground song, we would love that's to right. get the rights to end this podcast with that. But that's a tricky route. Because <laughs> who do you talk to? I mean, Lou's gone. Do we, Nico? I think you just John you just do it and you ask for forgiveness. That I, I'll do that. <laughs> my, my lawyer in the background's calling me. <laughs> There's uh, two bands I want to ask about that are regulars or not regular that have played it. The Zombies. Yeah. Did you interact with them? Mingle with them? Do you? Yeah, we were they familiar sure, with your. We music? made sure that they that they knew we were fanboys of them, you know. Oh yeah, definitely. we we've covered we've covered those zombie songs before, and um, yeah, I don't I don't I, I don't know if any of these bands know who we are, and like I, you know we you know honestly, I mean, other than the elevators and some of the, these other bands, we just you know begged to come play the festival, um, like the Brian Wilson thing, um, you know we know one of our friend Rob one of our friends Rob Campanella introduced us to one of the percussion uh, yeah, players. Nelson. Uh, yeah, our link with uh, getting Brian Wilson was through Brian Jonestown Massacre. Yeah, that's not the next band I was going to ask. And we've been like wanting that to happen. We wanted them to play Pet Sounds for five or six years. And, yeah. And we've been asking them for a long time, time to do it. Um, so for the 50th anniversary, it made sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... Ouch. Do you have any Anton stories? Speaking of Brian Jones, I'm asking. <laughs> story time. Um, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> now that, I don't know if I want Anton <laughs> hearing hang on a second. this. Go ahead and shut. You can, shut, you can press pause on the recording. No, feel free. We're not recording. It's, you guys go. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, then uh, <laughs> um, I remember, uh, I think the very first show that Alex and I went and saw was South by Southwest 2004. We went specifically to see Jonestown Massacre. And they played at a small little venue that I don't even know if it, it really exists yeah. in Austin now. Bayou Lounge or something. Something like that. Really small. And this band, Vietnam, opened. And then uh, the High Dials, who we've gotten to be good friends with, Rishi, was playing sitar. And oh, then, yeah, that's the sitar player. He's the incredible yeah. sound in your music. Yeah. And then Jonestown played. And they were playing for probably like 30 minutes. And then somebody in the crowd, um, I mean, like, the depth of the crowd it's is like right here. Well, it's like really close. Oh, the, right in like, their face. The, They're on the, the ground. It's far back. It's, the back wall is probably only like 20 feet away. And um, somebody threw a, a bottle cap that, like, hit him, like, right in the middle of the head. Uh. And so he just, like, stopped immediately, dropped his t- guitar, and walked around the crowd pointing his finger. <laughs> Who did that? Who threw that bottle at my face? 
And then yeah. like <laughs> he spent like about oh, an hour, ten, fifteen, <laughs> maybe an hour, like walking around the crowd looking for did he the find culprit. The, did he find the guy? No. Oh no, we'd already left. Oh no, <laughs> no we were we we're just like you know and at, at the time at the time we, you know we knew that like this was a potential for this to happen and people would egg him on. People would like yeah, and it, yeah. it's just sad because like you know it's like. It's like heckling. Uh, what was the guy's name? He used to. He kind of was. Gigi Allen. No, 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 no. <laughs> the, he, he used to tour. He used to play Tallahassee, by the way, all the time at the uh, cow cow house. Yeah. But he was kind of like um, he had the McDonald's song. He was kind of kind of semi retarded, and uh, maybe autistic. I don't know. But he Daniel Johnson. No, God, you guys, you know, you know, who I'm talking about. <laughs> if I if I had this name, but it's like going to that and like heckling. I mean, yeah. yeah. What are you doing? The this guys... was. It was also <laughs> pre pre uh, dig. So, I mean, after Dig came out, people started trying worse. to heckle him yeah. even more. You know, just like want to get a rise out of him. But the entertainment factor. <laughs> Three times here in Atlanta, they've been yeah. great every time. So, <laughs> I, I do have a question back on the, um, with, the, with the bands and whatnot playing the festival. Um, so you guys have had uh, great experiences of, of bands taking you over to Europe and breaking you guys, you yeah. know, breaking, yeah. breaking it open for you. Mm-hmm. So do you guys pay it forward? And when you, you know, are you guys going ahead and finding some bands and saying, hey, you know what, let's put them in the festival, let's put them in this slot, and let's give them a chance and really kind of boost them? I and, think that's one of the most oh, yeah. gratifying things about having a festival that we, you know, co-produce or whatever. It's, it's about, you know... That exact exact thing. Oh, this band, I really like this band. Somebody needs to see this band and put them on like a main stage and just you know like see what happens, see what they look. You know, you know they sound good in a small venue in mm-hmm. in Australia or France yeah. or whatever. So it's that's absolutely a a, uh, a gratifying thing for us to be able to to give back in that way. Um, that's yeah, and, and really it's cool. also uh, the one of the reasons we started the Reverberation Appreciation Society Records is to sign bands that we enjoy and help spread the word about them. So Spit out three or four names right now, three or four bands that you're most excited about that are relatively unknown. Um, Holy Wave. I like this band called American Bear. They kind of like sound like the elevators. Mm. And Night Beats. Night Beats are awesome. Have you guys heard of any of those bands? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you don't know, now you know. Yeah, we'll yeah. check them out. <clears throat> Wu-Tang. <clears throat> Never heard of them. <laughs> <laughs> So the coolest thing, one of the many cool things I learned researching you guys, Christian's father is a pastor. Was a pastor? Is a pastor? Still? Um, he uh, he still he still preaches, but he's not a preacher. He's a coordinator to Mission to North America, which is the Presbyterian Church of America, headquartered here in Atlanta. Oh, yeah. Will he be at the show today? He will. I'm oh. going to be seeing him and my mom in a little bit. Will you guys uh, do a uh, Son of a Preacher Man cover today? Yes. Yes, I always love that song. And we uh, won't be drinking on stage, and no cussing. Well, you can. You, it's Sunday, though. The 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 the, the you know the laws changed. So I don't know if you know that here in Georgia, you can drink on Sundays now. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay, I didn't know that. And apparently, you can bring a gun to school. Oh, oh I, well, yeah, the, the school has to put a marker on. Get turned down. Oh, good, good. <laughs> Literally, this was a big thing. Like, uh, why is it, why are we debating? Can you bring a gun to school? Why is this even a debate? Then again, Trump's running for president, and, and you yeah, know, whatever. Yeah, obviously, don't get into politics. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, you should you should bring one. So, although everybody, you should vote. Get out there and vote. Read up on the issues and vote. But anyways, <laughs> so, so you guys literally met in in the church, right? We did. Yeah, through. Uh, the Diaz family, our, our buddies Scotty and Paul, mm-hmm. uh, 
helped introduce Alex and I. Were you chirping about music when you should have been listening to the sermon? Um, probably. Yeah, we we were always like just doing something. Yeah, we were always creating something. Yeah, doing something weird. I remember the first time <laughs> we went on a mission trip when we were I don't know I was maybe fourteen or fifteen something to Mexico, and uh, we were painting a house in Rianosa, um, yeah. Mexico, and uh, y- you know you're doing that kind of thing when you're thirteen, fourteen, you're. 14 years old you're kind of trying to do everything you can to not work and i remember <laughs> i remember uh you know there's this big cavernous room that we're doing we're in and we're painting and we would create songs like acapella and uh we would get other people of the the church our our age to you know do little things you know i remember one thing yeah. we did we did the uh, I rem- we, we, we did got, the zombies we did the we, zombies we did, uh, <clears throat> time for the season yeah and we also did uh the um Star Wars song, the um, the de- song the of the Death March. Star, the Rebel March. So we'd have be like, man, you two guys over there do this, and we'd be like, we're gonna be doing over here do this, and then man, you two girls over there, you do this. <laughs> so we it like this, like that. That's what you're hearing. You're standing outside this church. You know, it's all you're just people like, what's going on in there? <laughs> and we're natural. just like painting, you know, like natural some, reverb and echo going exactly. on. Exactly, oh, yeah. and that's kind of, and, and that was like, you know, when we, you know, Christian and I first realized, well, man, there's this like, cra- like crazy creative energy of this weird orchestration thing at like that age. You know, I was kind of like, that's just, I don't know. You said you picked up the guitar after uh, while you were in college. I did, yeah. So is, this is before that, though. This, this is, is, Seth is pre that, yeah. Christian and Seth bonded over their Tallahassee past, just That's to right. point out for yeah. the listeners. Florida yeah. State University. Yeah. That's yeah. right, yeah. Seminoles. Uh, I, I was in the marching band. I played for crowds of thousands. Whoa. Yes, yes. Whoa. That were ignoring oh, you. You played for, like, in front of 80,000 people. 80,000 people, yes. <laughs> and I, I was at the Braves game the other day, and they, they, they used oh. the... They use that now. And I told my son, I'm like, I could be on that recording. Uh, it's possible. It's possible. Wild. But what were you building to with that? I don't remember. Um, <laughs> he, You didn't get ever paid for that song. That's your song. Yes, that's right. Oh, so so no, that's what, yeah, thank you. Um, uh, so you picked oh, yeah, up the yeah, guitar, right, but did you, right. but you were, so you guys were, knew each that other. Was, ahead yeah, of we that. knew that. And yeah, so we, you were, you've we been knew each other since for, uh, junior high school. Okay. Seabrook Intermediate School Spartans. So you've been you've been into you've been mus- you know musical. Uh, yeah, the guitar, I, I used to. I mean, I loved my dad. You know, he they would always my mom and dad would play the oldie station on the radio, and I would which now plays love, Pearl Jam probably. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, and I love the Beatles and early Bob Dylan stuff. But and I always wanted to learn how to play guitar, but I was just more interested in baseball and track and field high jumping which is what i did at um, florida state and then when i broke my ankle i couldn't i had to sit out for a year and that's when i learned the guitar and wow, then, blessing in disguise that broken exactly ankle. exactly mm-hmm. a new door was open that's that's the, that's the key to life you know if whatever bad happens opportunities are always in front of you it's gonna come from it you just right. gotta gotta take so, it so you guys were tight through high school, and then you went yeah. to Florida State. And where did you go to college? I went to Texas State University, which is um, about 20 minutes from Austin. It's the home of the T-Bone. Gotcha. That's right, the home of the T-Bone. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but <laughs> it is. But talk about coming back together, finding each other again. Yeah, so um, because I broke my ankle, I got to redshirt 
for one year. And so I went to University of Texas to high jump. So I went back to Austin. And then that was in uh, 2002 when Alex and I met back up. And I remember it was in November of 2002. It might have been like... The boy's memory. Yeah, I'm the band historian. (laughs) So, (laughs) But um, I remember he was playing with uh, another band called like uh, Elevation 33 or something like that. I don't know. But um, saw him play and went up to him afterwards and said, I'm playing now and it'd be fun to play guitar with you. And we met up, and I remember we recorded on this little device that I had. It's like an early digital recorder, but we did like four or five songs together yeah. in a night. And that that was the beginning of it. Yeah, it was just open, open kind of like, let's just create. You know when you have that kind of thing with somebody, and uh, it kind of all makes sense going back to the to the Death Star, Star Wars thing. Yeah. So yeah. two two years of playing just around Austin before the first album came out. Um, well, like when did you move yeah. beyond regional? Well, it was uh, so two thousand May first, two thousand four would be the uh, birthday of the Black Angels. So every anniversary tends to fall on during it, the fest. It does, which I mean, it didn't mean for that to happen, but it's kind of cool. But um, so yeah, two years until Passover came out. Almost two years exactly. So yeah, it came out in April two thousand six. And you self produced that and and your second one. That's right? right. Yeah. Did it really? I heard Passover took forty years to create. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Did you have an empty well, chair took, in the studio all the time? It took, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not Jewish, but I'm Jewish by insertion. Maybe oh, hey, 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 <laughs> by insertion. Yeah, I, my I, first I, serious uh, girlfriends were Jewish. <laughs> I do steal that line, by the way, Rob. I stole it from Belzer. <laughs> but can you talk about that being a young new band and producing your own your own albums? I mean, yeah, yeah that's kind of a baller move. I think I think it, I mean for us it was it was just a natural move and it, it was really uh, free in the fact that we had never done anything like this before. We never made a record before. Uh, he was telling you that I was playing with some friends. We were playing like Buffalo Springfield cover songs and around San Marcos where this college was and. Um, just other, you know, just folk, folky kind of songs. Um, and, uh, we never did this before. So there were no boundaries, no limitations, no, no rules at all. And, uh, and there still aren't any rules, but, um, you know, I think when we first worked with a producer, it's um, for phosphine, for phosphine dream, it was, it was a real, it was really good. It was good. It was healthy for our band to have a, like listen to other people and their input. You know, I think that we can be really stubborn as a band, um, which is a good thing and and a bad thing. You know, I think that there's always like an anchor, you know, I think Christian's probably like more of the anchor of like, Oh, you know, we need to maintain this sound and, and we go back and forth on it, but you know, we always want to push ourselves, you know, push ourselves to into the future. If we can make the next Silver Apples record, you know, that will still be forever futuristic. That would be amazing. But still keeping that kind of that that sound, the Black Angel sound, whatever that means. Um, when you when when it comes to picking a producer, uh, do you have any advice for uh, musicians out nah, there? I have no zero advice for anybody. <laughs> I, I do whoever. Who, I, well, I, one thing I'd say is if, if you just work with somebody that likes your music as opposed to. Um, and maybe you know their catalog um, but more than anything like somebody you get along with you know like 
we, we didn't necessarily know a bunch about Sardi's catalog. We just really liked him as a person. You know, we knew we knew he worked with Johnny Cash and did a couple other things. Yeah, he and did Oasis. <clears throat> that was kind of a was it difficult point. to to let let go? Absolutely, and, it's, and it's difficult. Take to their do advice it. and yeah. just say, okay, well, you he, know what? Screw it. Let's go ahead and just try what he's saying. It's, yeah. It's like, then, like then, as you look at it, and it's like, holy shit! Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. That's, I didn't know what was in us. That's exactly right. And it's 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 hard to have somebody be like. You're just not good, <laughs> you know. But like, you can be, and you have the elements of, the, of all these things that are, 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 you know, potentially could be good. But like that, you know, you're better than that. And it's just like, it's 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 that tough love thing that I think you know we kind of probably needed to hear at the time, you know, in terms of just like it really opened our minds up. You like know, shorter songs, more contrast, that sort yeah. of thing. And and like you know, it would, we would be, you know, it it wouldn't you know, we're always preaching to open up our minds and let everything come through, you know? And so I think it would be, it wouldn't be fair to not do that and listen to other people because, you know, we're not you know, the best songwriters, you know, we know how to get great tone, you know, in my opinion, <laughs> like we know how to get the tones that we like to get. Um, but that's completely different from writing a, an actual song that people can relate to. Well, well, on on that note though, you're, you're, you're the tones. I mean, a lot of your music is, capturing the noise and when you capture that noise is that something that's very organic or you know almost uh, improv or is that something that you know you want to get to a certain sound and you kind of the music within the music so in that noise you have this harmonies and just music going on in this noise sometimes it's organic sometimes you have to fight for that tone like oh it's not dirty enough like mm-hmm. you know roll your sleeves up and turn it up louder and throw your amp across the room see if it still works hit the fuzz yeah. bu- pedal no, no, that's We've the sound you want got like a hundred old 60s fuzz pedals <laughs> so you know we, we dial it in very precisely but sometimes <laughs> it's just like oh that one worked on all five songs or whatever but yeah. i remember when we recorded um indigo meadow there was this crazy weird battle out of nowhere. I just witnessed it between him and Kyle. Uh, they were like rarely um, focused on the song that we're working on. They were always on eBay out, outbidding each other on the <laughs> most rare fuzz pedal. They could find. I was like, what are you guys doing? I like look over and say, man, they're bidding against each other, dude, over there. The same fuzz pedal. It's like, you know, like 600, 700, 800, no, like not really, not, not that expensive. More like six, 601, 601, 601, 601150. Oh, but with that came, you know, a bunch of amazing instrument, instruments and pedals and um, but yeah, in terms of that, I think there's a natural thing. You just hit a, p- a pedal and that's it. And sometimes it's just like, oh, that's just not quite it. And, you know, should throw, it, throw another one in the chain and see what happens. And, and on that note, with the producer, uh, the sound, let's talk about your sound engineer. How much of a, a part of the band is he for your sound? Because you travel with a sound engineer now, yeah, right? Yeah, uh, a front of house <coughs> sound guy? Front, front yeah. Oh, yeah. He, yeah. Uh, whenever we can, we try to travel with our buddy Brett Orison. And it's amazing having somebody that can, you know, control your sound from front of house. It gives you that much more confidence when you're on stage because you know that, like, maybe if it doesn't sound that good on stage, he's doing his job out front. It probably is, yeah. sounds okay. He's going to make it work. Yeah. yeah. And we don't, he actually, we actually lost him to another big band who can pay him salary and a lot more money than we can pay. <clears throat> but <clears throat> what band is that? Uh, Widespread Panic. Oh, oh really? They're taking yeah. a hiatus, so they are. Which, so get them back, grab yeah, them back. Yeah, exactly. It'll be yeah. perfect next yeah, year yeah. once so, the album's out. Yeah, he'll be back on board. And yeah. I hope. Just really mix things up. Have uh, you know, make make the deal so you guys can go to uh, Panic and La Playa. 
yeah. in Mexico, yeah. you know? If we could just have all their fans, our, their rabid fans be our fans, then we'd be set for, for life. They're going to be looking for a band soon. Um, at least for instead year. of that beer yeah. sponsorship, go with whiskey and you'll get a chance. Yeah. <laughs> Would you say your first two albums are more similar to your live act, whereas the next two you were presenting songs as a launching pad for, for live? You know what I mean? You were just doing shorter versions of them, and then you expounded on them live, whereas the first two albums you kind of expounded in the studio. Um, I think the first two records, we, I feel like we, we, we wrote a lot on the road and test drove the songs a lot more on the road. I don't yeah. know if that's like... like well, I mean, like the, the first album, it's yeah. like, I mean, those songs were created from the time we were born all the way to the album came out. Yeah. So no album, you know, that's... First albums are always like that. You have your they whole can life. never be yeah. the first album again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I never even thought of it in that way. That this is true. Yeah, that's why sophomore is, efforts are yeah. so huge because you have your whole life to to yeah. release your first album. Yeah, and then uh, the second one though was like songs that we were testing on the road, mm. and then they they just evolved. Yeah, and, and the third uh, we, one we had all uh, just moved in together too. Right after Passover, we all moved into the same house together and had a. How long did that last? About that seven years. <laughs> it lasted a long time. It, yeah, we, we, it, we had moved in two different houses with each other. Actually, that I would recommend that to any band that like, yeah. really wants to take it seriously. You should all move in together. You figure out if you like and these you, people yeah. or not. You know, yeah. if you can't live with them, then you probably can't tour with them. Yeah, so you know, it was a, a good testing ground for when we got in a small van. We already knew how to argue with each other in the house <laughs> and the van was nothing yeah <laughs> the, and the third record was was more of a kind of like well what can we do with it was song, the, songs we had ideas yeah for. songs we had ideas for but right. how can we how can we infiltrate the public with these you know how can we you know you know you know just it, get them get people right. like into the psychedelic kind of sound showcasing more like sounding. instead of like Maybe Spaceman Three, like on the first two, where the song was like, like the last song on Directions is almost as long as Phosphine Dream. It's like twenty minutes. Mm-hmm. So, like you know, more of our influences of like the Beatles and the Zombies, like shorter songs. So you know, yeah. they're both equally Spaceman Three is as much as it influences like the the Zombies. Yeah. So I feel like all these records still have this kind of dark element, and I don't know, you know. How that happens, or 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 why, and I don't really try to ex- it, understand it. I it's just, with it your just name, happens. perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's got to be the only reason why the name. But it's is it ever a frustration? Like your older fans want you to maintain a sound, and you want to flesh out. It seems like the negative reviews that I've read, which aren't that many, it's not really criticizing the music, but criticizing what the writer thinks you should be doing. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, that yeah must be frustrating as hell. You know, it's funny. Like I was talk- having this conversation with somebody the other day, and I feel like I had this conversation with one of the Black Keys when we were in Greece. But like, you're, like you're gonna put a new record out, and say you only have sixty thousand fans, and there's seven billion people in the world, you can stand to lose ten thousand fans. And if you're gaining 1% of the population back with this new thing that you do, <laughs> everything's okay. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's, you want to you remain true to your sound. And, you know, I think we're all, that's always a question of, of ours is, you know, you know are, are the fans going to perceive it? But at the end of the day, it's another selfish thing where do we think it sounds good? Yes. And that's all that matters, you know? Um, but uh, I, I don't know. I feel like in people, you know, people are, you're going to lose fans, but like the, the reality of it is we're a small band and there's still a lot of people who don't know our music. And, um, 
I think it's, that's kind of, that's how I feel about it. You know, like, and we, you know, we just always want our music to sound, you know, you know, like you can rob a bank to it. You know, you've probably heard us say that like billions of times, but like, if you can, then that's like, that feels good to us. It's like this like gloomy kind of like, did you say rob a bank? Yeah. If you can rob a bank to it, it's a, it's a good song, you know, and there's other kind of factors that, you know, we're like, okay, check that you can do that. Yeah. You can do that. Um, so I, I think those, you know, f- for us, as long as they, they meet that criteria and I think that, you know, we're fine. Um, but, uh, I, I still think it's interesting about how many fa- fans you lose, in terms of how many fans we've gained like for the last record we got some flat because it sounded different you know indigo meadow but we've never had more people at our shows ever you know and like compared to what people are listening to on the radio like like you know our music isn't like pop music it's still like you know darker and more strange than you know 90 percent of the stuff out there you know and yeah if, if we could write a pop song today that was just like undeniably like better than any Beatles song ever but it sounded poppy but it still sounded good I think why would you be shy why would you run away from that bring it on yeah you know yeah. And, and Rob Campanella always told us you know the guy from BJM he was always just like um, pop music in the 60s and 50s was popular because it was good it didn't mean it was popular because it was like mm-hmm. you know these like you know this kid Justin Bieber type kid that's like you know well, you're listening attractive. to the great hits coming up next but yeah. contrived you mean <laughs> where it's but contrived you know so and I th- I think I, I would like to get back to that I'd like to get back to the actual the, the best music that is on the radio is is the best music out there well, it's uh, it's popular because it's good so what was Colonel saying uh, we had an interview with Colonel Bruce Hampton and he was saying that uh, that Johnny Cash and Beatles and like so he starts dropping all the names from that era and he's like mm-hmm. they should put them back on the radio. So when you oh, go man. on, to I it, agree. Just mix I it agree. in there. Yeah, I agree. And that's a standard. And if you're not better than that, then you're fucking out of exactly. here. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things you said about producers is that they'll they'll find something that you've done and encourage you in that direction. And I'm wondering how, to what extent do you improvise live and and do you, did you bring to the producers any live recordings and pull stuff out of that and frame songs around improvisations at all? Yeah, I think that happens. Um, we we go back and forth in terms of produ- like I think early on, like you're saying, early on we like before we even wrote like the lyrics for Passover, we we're playing Passover, and the the song structure was like, yeah, that we don't know when the next verse is going to come up. I didn't even really know all the lyrics, and would just be had an idea of what I was going to say, but <laughs> very a lot more free form. Um, at some point, I mean, Christian and I both like to go see a band. And it sound like, and, and have it have it sound like the record. You know, there's something cool about that. And there's all, all, also something that's like, oh yeah, you like them to be more, you know, to explore and do something else. Like when you see Radiohead, um, you know, if, I, I when I go see Radiohead, I just kind of go and will eat whatever they make me for dinner. I'm not too picky. You know what I mean? I'm not like requesting they play this song and it has to be exactly like this and you know i'm just kind of like look you're the artist do whatever you want you know and i and i'll I'll appreciate because i like you guys as artists um so if they would choose to play it exactly like it is on the record then good for them if it's if it's a little different then that's fine if they didn't play the hit that everybody wanted to hear that's that's you know that's their prerogative you know um that's kind of how my approach to to to, to music but i do love the idea of being like having artistic freedom to go off and do different you know 
have different movements and have parts being be longer. It's harder during a festival set because you're you know you're you ha- you're trying to play X amount of songs and you can't let one song yeah. go twenty five minutes and then well why mean, not? Go, I mean, <laughs> well, I mean you could you could, but it's just kind of like you know you might lose people. Well, you might lose people. You'll and gain us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the, you know, but we selfishly we want to play more songs. Sure. Yeah, you know, it's like we want to play like you know if you have four or five records, it's like you know how hard it is to make a set list when you have. I mean, we're not even a band that like the keys that have like 16 records like we have only you know four and a half records and you know a bunch of eps and you know what do you even play it's like that's the big, one of the biggest do you parts. think about that like here in atlanta uh, or wherever you might be if you're playing a festival do you do you think hey what did we play last time what is the you know what's this what's this crowd what are we given this the yeah potential we, it is sunday it? afternoon <laughs> yeah we do <laughs> we do think about that we do think you know what's funny we we used to call them this we used to have color-coded songs like a red song a green song and blue you know all, all through the spectrum w- which songs would be good to play during a festival what songs are good nighttime songs mm-hmm. those are typically the warmer darker colored songs green light song green songs are just like you can f- fucking play them whenever you want um <laughs> well, so yeah speak speaking of colors uh yes. just, yeah let's uh, let's yeah let's talk about Please your do. lighting designer a little bit because uh yeah bob mustachio yeah. That wonderful name, sounds name familiar. first of all. Bob is that Mustachio, real name or is that a stage Bob name? Mustachio was a drummer for the, the Warlocks. Ah. Yeah. Wait, wait, same name or same guy? Same, same, same guy. Same guy. Same fake name? Same, fake, <laughs> same guy. He was one of the double drummers for the Warlocks, and, and that was another a huge influence of the Black Angels, the Warlocks, you know, R- Warlocks, Ravenettes, Clinic, you know, a lot of these bands, you know, uh, but he was, he was a, one of the drummers for, for them, and he moved to Austin, and we were just like... He was getting into visuals. Always really liked what we did visually. Before we had him, we we had um, several people do oil stuff, and in, in if we could, like the old projection. Fillmore days. The old Fillmore days or projections. Yeah, yeah, I love that stuff. I don't know why people don't bring that. Something because it's it's expensive and it's one more thing that to pay for, and oil's messy. It's so cool. <laughs> but yeah, no, it is. But like, I mean, Chris, That's a good answer. We've always, you know, Christian, Christian, and I've always, you know, we always liked the old. Uh, Velvet Underground, exploding uh, plastic inevitable stuff. That, you know, and, yeah. and, and early, early Pink, Pink Floyd, Floyd. You know, if you look at what they did, it's just kind of the whole thing. Yeah, it's the know. whole thing. The multimedia, Give music, me a and, and fractal. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Bob. Bob has uh, just taken the, the visuals to another, a whole other level. Yeah. With the equipment that he's acquired. Mm. And yeah, has your sound changed? Yeah. With how does the, the How does the light affect it, the performance? It bounces back and forth. Yeah. Definitely. He has. He's definitely. He's a drummer, so he's like playing with us you know mm-hmm. up there he's like this song's moody and 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 um brooding yeah so exactly this is, it's very rhythmatic know, yeah so the visual it's not just aspect. random it, yeah it's he's the sixth member yeah. not on stage yeah and brett i guess would be the seventh member yeah, of our engineer <laughs> well uh, the, having a light director that knows music theory you know extremely well can help we had jefferson waffle from Humphreys <laughs> mcgee on and that was a big point he drove home and he's always telling young lining guys don't just get into the prettiness and all this but no music theory Know the nonverbal mm-hmm. communication. Yeah. D- d- does th- does it, your lining director ever affect your improvisation? Can can you give any examples of it that you come to yeah, mind? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think whenever he's when he's doing like you know, when he's setting the mood for us on stage, it's really if it was just bright up there the whole time, it would be just kind of 
it's not the yeah, not the, the mood that that the black black angels try to be in. It's diff- It's it's we kind of joke around that sometimes it's really difficult for us to play during the daytime sometimes because we'd like to just be kind like kind of feel naked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why you like lower the guitar a little bit. When you're playing. Lower the guitar. Well, go, I'll have to get naked during your set to make you feel more comfortable. Yeah, you don't want. We already to picture that. <laughs> <laughs> Upside down question mark. Now, is he? Is he been um, in, in influential to your festival adding any elements yeah uh, he's, yeah he, he's the curator of uh all the lighting people on like uh, on all the the stages mm-hmm. three stages he uh asks asks people from all around the world uh, that you know lighting people really to come and help him out that's yeah. awesome yeah, yeah he'll check if we're if we're in a some place and some you know pittsburgh and somebody has a an opening band for us has a badass light set up he'll be like who are you? You know, yeah. like just make mm-hmm. the connection. We want to have you come down and and do lights for us. And yeah, he's and, uh, yeah, that's his role. And I understand that your uh, the brewery this year that you had on board actually made a light beer for him. Yes, the mustachio light show beer. Light show beer. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. Uh, Christian has a history in advertising and graphic design. Has that's has, right. that, has that played into the? Have you used that with the band at all? I have. Um, yeah, I studied. Uh, Art direction and and uh, that's you know helped me. I've I've done uh, all of the album covers. Oh really? Um, done most of the t-shirt designs, um, but like I mean, as of lately, I've been uh, working more with other people and kind of you know with the vision that I have, asking them to make that come to life. Did you do any of the festival art? Um, I I I did. I did a little bit. I haven't done as much as I did the first through fourth years. But um, I did a little bit this year, um, but now uh, like we we have uh, Rob kind of curates a whole poster thing where art, different artists do poster designs. The same for, Rob for, booking Rob. Yeah, what's his uh, name? His, Rob Fitzpatrick. Um, his he studied uh, graphic design as well in college, so his main passion with the festival is also like the poster design and like the art side of things. So, I mean, eventually, like, that's what we want to be focusing on. Rob and I just, like, curating the different designers for the posters. The fun stuff. And not having to deal with, uh, like, cleaning porta potties and stuff. Yeah, cleaning porta potties. (laughs) (laughs) How they can get on the Woodstock movie, cleaning porta potties. (laughs) Can you talk about, you mentioned before, is it D. Rishi? Uh, Deer Rishi. Deer Rishi. Rishi. Yeah, Rishi Deer. Who actually joined the band for the Phosphine for 2012, (coughs) all of 2012. He was with the band. Did you sound man like that? I mean, how is it mixing a sitar in with your music? Is that tricky? He loved it. No, he loved it. He's you know, it was it was a little tricky, but he didn't play every song on sitar. We we curated each set for for that. Yeah, you know? he would play bass on on some. Yeah, of them. he's a, a hell of a bass player. Plays yeah. a Rickenbacker and just you know, when we saw High Dials playing with the Jonestown, he was playing the bass for the High Dials, and um, um, we just you know he he he's in a band now called Elephant Stone, a great band out of uh, Montreal. Have you guys heard of Elephant Stone? No, and I should because no, I have friends will. who live up there. Definitely the Slip should. live up there. I'm sure they know them. It's a really cool band from from Montreal, and uh, yeah, that's what he's doing now. Um, yeah, and that song that song's uh, named after him. Yeah, an homage. Do you record every show, and do you listen back to your live performances ever? Not every show. We don't record every show. No. We record we record some of them. Um, when Brett was with us, I guess the last tour, he recorded every show. Yeah, and that's the point. We'd like to get to that point. Yeah. Well, yeah, 20, 30 years from now, you might 
Yeah, know, one day there'll be a, a live record. I mean, yeah, because there's enough songs. Or a couple. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I I have a hard time sometimes listening to it. Just kind of like that's what happened, and you know, I know that's the only way you learn from you know, you know, you're not the only way. Watching, you know, watching what happened, listening to what happened, listening to what happened. But I I, I don't know. It's as long as it's front of house. As long, yeah. Direct. Sometimes they take it directly from the board. A direct and signal. You lose all of like the effects. effects that we put into it, so it sounds kind of crappy. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a different. I mean, that's that's not the product you're putting out. <laughs> no, no. It's like, yeah, if the best recordings are from typically just mic ambient mics around the around the or a matrix. Yeah, I was gonna say. Or I just I imagine. I, I imagine like this. I don't know why I'm thinking this, but like I'm just like you know, twenty years or ten years or maybe even tomorrow. I don't know when it's gonna happen, but like virtual reality kind of thing where you just kind of put on the thing. You're at the show, and now it's like this three dimensional <laughs> sound kind of you know. And then you. I want to say that widespread panic already did that. Like I, everything I think of, it's like they, oh, my buddy Brett's like. Bread, they already did that, bra, bra. They did that, bra, bra, bra. They did that, three sixty, bra. Five point oh, ain't five point oh. It's eight point twelve now, bra. And I'm just so like, I think they had one show where they had like um, cameras all over the place, and it was like this thing where you could get on and like online and like move the mic and be like, oh, there's a guitarist. There's you know like and like just be like on kind of amazing idea, but like. Um, there's a ceiling. There's a ceiling. <laughs> bro, what kind of shoes? Bro, what kind of shoes are those, bro? I hey, got bro. the I got the I got the shoes already, bro. <laughs> but I don't think Whites are played Letterman and these guys have. Can you talk about that experience? Yeah, Was that right? One thing that we have, one thing that we have on them. <laughs> that was kind of like um a blur to me. I remember being in this really cold room with Really, well, the whole thing is called. That's Letterman's thing, right? The yeah, whole really cold room. Keep people awake. <laughs> really warm cookies. Warm yeah, cookies. Yeah, warm cookies, cold room. Um, and and I think I remember just the whole thing just happened so quick. And we went up there. We 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 test drove the song one time. Uh-huh. Telephone, it, right? Telephone. Yeah. And then you go up there and you play in front of a live studio audience, just like he says. And um, you have one shot to just not mess it up, and you do it, and then that's kind yeah. of it. And they're like, "All right, get out of here." Yeah. Um, I was just like, man, dude, this is where the Beatles played. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> My parents were there, and uh, you know, it was one. Of, it was really cool to have them there to, be, you know, so they could see, you know, their son playing the David Letterman show. My son probably, plays for Letterman. Yeah. He played the Letterman. That he was, played the Letterman show, honey. Did you see that? <laughs> it's probably you know, you know, for them to to know that you know, you know. They're we're doing co- something. We're doing something. Yeah, and our, you're on their college, something. college. <laughs> wasn't my, in vain. That's my validation from my mom and dad. They're like, "Oh, he's actually playing on Letterman. I guess that band is doing something." Then. <laughs> yeah, anytime <laughs> they say anything, well, mom, you, mom, you never played Letterman, did you, mom? No, you didn't. If I told my mother that, she'd go, "Letterman? <laughs> what are you going to the post office?" <laughs> <laughs> did you get a get the sense that Schaefer was familiar with your music, Paul Schaefer? Yeah, he definitely was. He actually ended up cover, he ended up playing our song. Like for like, outro. like six months after. Nice. Oh, wow. Yeah, like he would he would integrate telephone. He's like, what? I, yeah, I remember on the outro. Yeah, like on the they, outro, they but after telephone. Again. I, he he cool. started integrating it into his little repertoire. Mm. What's he right doing right now? now? Um, Chilling. I, I don't know. He should I'm not do sure what he's yeah. doing. <laughs> I don't know. Still does a rock and roll hall of fame <laughs> thing. Right? I think. He's like the musical coordinator yeah, for that. Yeah, I think I think he might He'd be. He'd be a fun guy to bring into like uh, a festival as just a you know player at large or whatnot. No, just he would to, be. Uh, he, I mean, he really he fits that yeah. whole thing. He gets it, and he's like loves all the same you know the old stuff you know. 
let's talk about some of the songs. The one that resonated lyrically with me immediately was I Hear Colors, because I do. Yeah. This that's, is that's from a lot of, uh, you know, <laughs> years ago, but I just <laughs> like a lot, of fruit, uh, a lot of Fruit Loops. <laughs> <laughs> Not anymore. I'm that question mark, trying to keep the question mark <laughs> in the down. Mystery. Can you talk about writing that song and the yeah. inspiration for it? Yeah, um, I think a lot of the inspiration came from how we kind of looked at music anyway, you know, from a long time, you know, just from describing songs in terms of colors and, you know, how does this song make you feel in, in a visual way, you know, and I think it probably has to tie into our live show and um, how, I, I don't know, I just feel like the whole, our whole musical approach is so like cinematic in our minds. Like I, I know that when we were writing songs, especially early on, and still, it was, we would set the scene for okay, we're we're you know, you're in a canoe floating down the Mekong River. What kind of drum beat and bass line would be happening right now? And um, and this is a foggy green song, you know. And so like that kind of like that connection and that speak that we had with each other was something that was was always current and and um and. I think describing describing that kind of experience in a way that has a lot of double entendres, you know, and and um, I think that was just the way we to try to describe our um, creative process and what music does to us, you know, what it, you know, how it makes us feel, um, and uh, what yeah. keeps you going, what keeps, keeps you going, you yeah, what keeps you going, and um. For us, it was, it was always about the music and how it made it make, made us feel. You know, it was never about anything else. You know, I think psychedelic music gets a really bad rap and bad connotation because of the drug culture and everything around it. But um, which, all kidding aside, I think the best psychedelic music, and this was happening with your music to me as I was studying for this interview, is that can take you to that place, take you to something I used to do twenty twenty five years ago and can still tap into without doing it. The mm-hmm. best psychedelic music is that type of music. It's not like you have to do psychedelics to appreciate it. Yeah. It's that it can transport you in a way that a drug can. Yeah. In, in that's my, right. in yeah. My that's what we hope to do. It's it's yeah. it's gotta be the most powerful form of art. You know, it's because it hits so many different senses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um and um you know you know, we really look at it in a in a not a religious way, but in a very spiritual way, you know, music and, and how it makes us feel. And, um, people do have a, uh, something called synesthesia, which, or chromesthesia, which means they actually hear colors and they see, uh, sounds and they just kind of flip flops. Um, first time I heard about it was when I read Oliver Sacks, um, a man who mistook his wife for a hat. Did you ever, you guys? Ever <laughs> I've read heard it? of that, but I've not read it. It's about a lot of these kind of I probably will now. Kind of problems, um, but uh, yeah, uh, this that song always makes me feel like I'm transported. You know, when when we when we play it. Um, well, we were talking earlier about that. That when you when you guys go and you're transported on the other side. You know, here the industry guys going to talk about the fan perspective, but uh, for me, when when I'm in that experience, I. I literally have some of my best ideas. All these bubbles pop and just just all of a sudden I know exactly what direction the business needs to go and all these decisions that I just that were blocking me that kept me up at night that just you know were stressing me out all of a sudden like I have the answers and then of course the next day I forget everything I thought. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> write it down, write it down, write it down. Well, always maybe seems to be about that 
kind of an indecisive person who's someone you're drawn to, but they're frustratingly indecisive. Never, you're never needing, you're never believing what's in store. Always, always want more. Whatever you're thinking, you make it yours. Am I misled? No, no. You know, I, that that's funny. That that song in general for me. I mean, I don't know if you want to speak on it at all, but um, I always uh, that that song to me was kind of like a lot of those late night conversations you have. Like, yeah, I'm going to do that for sure. Maybe I'll I'll see you maybe tomorrow for sure. You know, but that but like yes no yes y- no yes no um <laughs> um that. That song's still kind of very like an, an, a, a puzzle to me in terms of like, you know, where where I was specifically writing in the, writing that song. Um, but the truth is, whatever you want you, is is at your fingertips, and you can go and get it. And I think that's something that we've we've discovered through music. And like, oh, you wake up one day and you want to be in a in a in a psychedelic rock and roll band, and you know, a second before that, you're in business school or high jumping you know <laughs> um went from high jumping to getting high <laughs> so you were in business school i didn't realize that yeah I, I did a short term in business school as well yeah you got kicked out school. um i didn't get kicked out <laughs> oh wait high school i did not business school. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I grew up on a nursery in seabrook where we went to school and uh you know I could, I could still, if this whole music thing didn't pan out ever, I could see myself landing there and, and being like taking care of plants for a living, you know, just something very peaceful about that. Um, but, uh, went to business school just in case I always had the kind of, uh, business mind. I always wanted to do this and had all these things. Well, you that, guys obviously are. I mean, all these things coming from the graphics to the business. I mean, it makes sense that you guys have put on your own festival because you can, yeah. you have the, yeah, yeah your yeah, business training probably helps. Had a little yeah. foundation. Not just musicians. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, uh, it is validation to us and our parents that we were on yes. the Letterman show. <laughs> Well, how about Love Me Forever, where you use repetition and then you break it up with um, why? Because your heart beats with mine. Like, like it's so obvious to you. Which one do you wrote that? That's so obvious to you of the, of the love, but there's that little break off where you feel compelled to tell the object of your love why it's so obvious to you. So is it somewhat un- unrequited? Um, with a, a lot of the more sappy love songs that we write, um, I, uh, sappy, I'll play you sappy. You want to hear sappy? Love? I don't think your shit sappy at all. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I feel like it's we we choose to write about things that we don't really understand. You know, um, evil women are one of them. Um, you know, relationships, love. You know, the destruction of the world. Um, Knowing you know that you don't know that you know you don't know. Yes, the more you know, the more you don't know. <laughs> Precisely. Um, um, in terms of love me forever. Um, almost spooky is there an element of obsession in there absolutely yeah and i think it's you know it's it's kind of demanding and um egotistical in a way you know and you know i always feel like i I never wrote the last verse of all the sappy love songs which is she kills him or something (laughs) and i feel like that's the the verse that wasn't that never made it (laughs) another thing for the box set (laughs) And, and then she eats him that's a that's the other ending which one of you rewrote Vietnam, the Jimmy Cliff song? Oh, that was me. That was you. Yeah. What inspired that? Um, it's well, pretty cool. I really, uh, I read somewhere that uh, Bob Dylan said that he thought that was the, re- the best protest song ever. So 
I thought, why not update it, make it about the Iraq War? It was going down in 2006 when that album came out. So, we would like to play that on the show too if we can get permission. Yeah, our permission, permission granted. Yeah. You heard it here. You heard it first. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and of course, don't play with guns, which is another heavy one. That's in response to the um, Aurora incident. Well, it was actually written before that. Oh, um, wow. People like yeah. people took that. Uh, people took that. Pitchfork. As, pitchfork was like, oh, they're just trying to cash in on the Aurora yeah. killers. Yeah. Like, song fuck is, you. I mean, you it's really just think it's, do that? it's something that happens all the time. Yeah, yeah. The, the more tri- and yeah. more. Yeah, yeah. like guns have always been an issue. Guns have always been a problem. Guns will, will always be a problem. You know, they helped, you know, you know, f- people thought they helped settle the, you know, the Peacemaker was the first gun, the, fir- the first Colt 45. <laughs> it was a Peacemaker. That's what they called it. And uh, ironically, the gun is called a Colt. Yeah, a Colt. Just yeah. saying. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, um, no, it was written, it was written before all that happened. It was written because it's, you know, guns are an issue you know and they always will be and uh people choose to think about what they whatever you know apply it to whatever they want to i remember pitchfork saying something like was this guy like trying to cash in on like like the aurora killings i was like what a fucking bunch of dickheads dude really like yeah pitchfork seems to have a bug up their ass about you which draws me to your band even more actually nothing against pitchfork (laughs) but they're often wrong about some of the the best bands. That's yeah. the strange thing about Pitchfork. They're right about so many of them, but they can be so off base when they're off yeah. base. And that was also a love song too, you know. And that was that's the thing. It's like, you know, and wh- how we try to write is like how is double speak, and we would try to write in double speak like the Beatles would. Like, do you know if the, is that a love song or is that a song about the war or what, what's what's that about? You know, and, and I think some of the most creative like writers were always kind of you're always kind of like, man, what. You know, the parents think it's about like, you know, love. You know, it's about love, honey. That's what it's about. And the kids are like, nah, man, he's talking about ex girlfriend who's like gonna eat him. <laughs> <laughs> and it's obvious, you know, but like whatever. You know, people people choose to, to think about what you know, that's what why music and art's so great. It's like what's it mean to you? Because that's more important than what it means to me. Like sometimes I don't even know what it fucking means to me, you know, like it's more important what you think it is. <laughs> Well, it's interesting to me that even though you guys come from a position where you definitely respect religion, you're always talking more about spirituality than religion. And I wonder if you're like me sometimes in that you you have a deep belief in a creator or whatever, but a deep suspicion of organized religion and maybe a feeling that sometimes it can turn people off to that belief. Yeah. It, it yeah, could, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's, you know, it can be, you know, re- religion <clears throat> is, is uh, it can be really, you know, you know, hoity-toity, and, you know, you're not one of us, and you should think like us, and spirituality is a little different. But religion, I, I I feel like there's there's almost not a need for it now. Like, we're beyond the need for religion, or there's maybe some new kind of religion, like maybe music's a new religion, or, uh, you know, something that connects that. connects more. It's like, oh, that's actually, I can actually hear that. I can actually hear that voice. You know, that's actually, and we all can hear it. It's not like I'm just asking for it and nothing ever happens. Um, but, you know, it's, you know, I heard a quote the other day on, I was listening to NPR, and this guy said, you know, I don't believe in Christ at all, but I'm a, I'm a practicing Christian. He's, he's a good person. He does all the right things that he, he does, but he doesn't believe in the other part of it, you know. Um, which is really interesting to hear. It's, it's a weird dichotomy. I just like the stories. I just like the story. <laughs> but like you know, it's a you know, 
all most religions have a lot of similar themes going back to Zoroaster, you know. And I mean, absolutely, I mean that they I don't even say all of them, they're identical stories yeah, even. Yeah, it was, yeah, even with, you know, the son of a god, you know. Um so I you know, religion I don't know. It's it's a, it's a tough one. It's ca- it's caused a lot of it's ca- it's caused a lot of problems and um I just, I just don't know if we need, I don't know if we need, yeah, need it anymore. It, I don't know if I we know. need it anymore. It's crazy. I mean, religion, like they preach love, but it, it causes hate, you yeah. know, and war. So, yeah. Um, pretty ironic. Yeah. Like what's the most helpful thing that you've learned from your father that's served you well in your life, you would say, or, or what's one of the most helpful? Um, I mean, I guess just to, treating my fellow man like how I would want to be treated, you know? I mean, I, I guess that's just the golden rule. Definitely and the best thing to come out of religion, too, really. Yeah. Make I mean, a festival that you'd want to go to. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. My, my parents are fairly, fairly religious, too, and I would just say just, you know, this un, undying love for, for their children and for people, you know, that's just, that's, uh, that's, the best thing I think that can come from religion and not these little these little details that rituals you know, rituals <clears throat> you get beyond the rituals you have these you know like you guys said you went on this mission together and yeah you know, like these things these programming putting people together there's there's a lot of good with religion when it comes to that it gives kids a chance to really have a community mm-hmm. uh, that they don't just get with school I mean there's there's so much no, but there's right. got to be there's the the piece that pushes people away yeah that's yeah that's yeah. just like come on yeah well it's, how it's, do we find it's that the, balance it's, it's the nose the nose up kind of mentality it's the, I'm better than you or you know you're not as you're not as connected or yours not divine, and your your connection with God is in His holiest mind. You want a ritual? I'll show you a ritual. Come to Levitations 2016. Tickets on sale now, right? <laughs> We're selling last 17. year's tickets now. <laughs> a few more. I really appreciate your time. Mm-hmm. I, I want to point out too that these these two gentlemen were very punctual and very patient. Two uh, <laughs> characteristics not associated with all musicians. So really appreciate We're very that. Very professional. That's right. Um, <laughs> Christian, I'd like you to talk about, you have a side project as well. I do, yeah. It's called Christian Bland and the Revelators. And you have two albums out? I've got three now. Three. When did the third one come yeah, out? Yeah, uh, it came out in uh, the fall of 2014. Oh, goodness. I'm behind. I'm sorry. I was <laughs> Rob, I thought you said you researched. Oh, He makes I, fun of me, and he researches nothing. Oh, my gosh. Oh. <laughs> But he's pretty awesome. I research. I research your research. You <laughs> tell okay. us about this side project. How does it differ from Black Angels? Um, well, I guess it's um, it just kind of came out of like a, the album cycle with the Black Angels. Like uh, I was creating a lot of songs, and it was like it wasn't a it, a time when it was like when the Black Angels put out an album, just put out an album. So these songs were like left over, and if I were to wait for the next album then some would just get looked over and I didn't want that and they're they're a little different than Black Angel stuff they're some might be like more acoustic Um, a little more brown angels Hmm. yeah maybe gray 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 angels (laughs) Um, but yeah it it allows me to have another outlet um, uh, for creativity and also to be able to play around Austin a little bit more which I enjoy playing out live and it allows me to do that more. Black Angels don't play like smaller shows around Austin as much, and it allows me to do that. So, 
there's there's yeah. uh there's bars to play in Austin. There, there's, mm-hmm. no, there's only like one or two, mm-hmm. but. Do people record your shows and trade them and stuff like that? Is there a fan? Uh, there's a, there is a website, I think, <coughs> where, I, where I've seen that happen. What's the name of it? It's called um, archives.org. Oh, archives.org. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you are on there. I think. I think uh, a long time ago. We but you're okay there. with that, with people recording? And, oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, you do mix up your I shows. Mean, as long as do? it's not the, uh, the board feed, right? Yeah, as long as it's not the board <laughs> feed. Well, yeah. it just seems like a band that's genuinely creative live. It, it behooves them to allow it. And, and as a matter of uh, over the years, I've gotten to the point where I'm suspicious of bands that don't allow it because it makes me think that they're limited live, you know, and they're trying right, to hide right. something. Right, right. Yeah. I've, uh, I think I've, it helps spread the word. Yeah. We've never been like, no, you can't record our show. Um, you know, like, what's the point of that? You know? Um, what do you mean? Widespread's doing it, so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're doing it. And they are a band that plays a different set every single night. They're, they're actually doing this thing now where they're um, requ- uh, doing live, uh, free. You can listen to oh yeah stream any show as yeah. they'll stream it as it's happening. That's free. smart. Yeah, so, um, I have a question as we're as we're finishing this up. Um, uh, this is just a random thing here, but you know we lost Prince, and when we lost Prince, uh, came all this material that people just were like, "Man, I knew I love Prince, but then now I'm just like, oh my god, so, you know, we we know we have these legends that are alive right now." Maybe you guys mentioned one legend that's still alive that rather than later after that legend goes, that we should all be appreciating. Oh, Rocky Erickson. Yeah. John Cale. You're right. I, mean, I think you'll get John Cale. <laughs> I got to see him at the Big Ears Festival, which, by the way, is one you should play. And it's kind yeah. of in the same vein, really geared toward the listening fans, hence the name. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to like. It's hard to say that any one of those people are, you know, more important than anybody else. But I mean, think about, you know, Bob Dylan's, all the Bob Dylan's that there yeah. are, you know, yeah, Brian <laughs> Wilson. Yeah. Um, but other than Radiohead, who's your dream booking for the for the levitation? Uh, uh, um, other than Radiohead, I don't know if there's anything. Yeah, that would be a nice tenth anniversary. David Gilmore. I'd like. Yeah, that would be cool. Gilmore and and uh, Wright together, <laughs> that'd be rad. Or, I mean, Nick, actually, Wright's Wright is dead. I mean, Nick Mason and Gilmore. What about Piper at the Gates of Dawn? Cool. Porter yeah. said Bjork would um, be cool. Yeah, The Verve, oh, Oasis what? reunion, Blur. While Pink Floyd's on the on the table, when I was a kid, I had a double album. They repackaged their first two albums into a thing called a nice pair, and I noticed you had right. an EP, another nice pair. That's is right. that an homage that, to that? It, it, it exactly, is exactly. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> And by the way, Seth, there's a nice old... research. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I, 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 I get well, that's that. from Christian, who I we'll, we'll get you one on one, and I'll have your your uh, solo stuff done. Right. But there is an elephant in the room, Seth. <laughs> <laughs> what is next? When is the next Black Angels release? Uh, we're writing it right now. Um, yeah, right, right now is that why well, they got we, that pad? Yeah, yeah, that's oh, right. No, that's actually a maxi pad. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, and that's another sponsor. <laughs> yes, so brought to you by Always. <laughs> that's why we had a song called River of Blood. That's what oh. that's about. <laughs> well, on that I'm sure note. you researched that already. So we're making it. Yeah, we are so making a new record. We'll be recording it this summer. Do you have a producer yeah. chosen? We do actually. Uh, we've been we've been like we've been producing a lot of it ourselves, like up until this point. I would say for the last two years, which is kind of int- it's, it's cool because we're going back to this this first two record cycle. Yeah. Thing. Um, but uh, we've been writing these songs for two years. It's been two years now that we re- re- put a record. Out. I can't believe that already. But I was we were looking back at the other day. and I was like, Christian, man, look at the date on this. I you know, know. two thousand fourteen. 
we were 12. <laughs> um, but like, you know, I, so we are, you know, we're working with uh, two guys. Um, uh, one's name's Pablo Clements and one's name's uh, James Griffith. And they, uh, they are the, um, the main curators of uncle, the main musical curators of uncle, a band from, from England. I don't know if you've heard of them, but I heard there, I heard aunt, but not aunt. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, check. I thought you did your research, but (laughs) (laughs) I I thought I, how how was I going to know that you said that? I don't know. Um, so there, uh, we're, we're bouncing back. Uh, we're bouncing songs back and forth together with those guys. And, uh, um, you know, with the new record, like we're, we're, you know, I think we've always looked at this, you know, uh, kid a, and we've always wanted to do something like that. Like, you know, um, when, to- when Tom York came out and said, and this probably won't be our kid, a, but he, you know, cause you can't say this is going to be my kid a, cause if you fall short of that, people are like, this is going to be our revolver. This, this is our, our first revolver. annual festival. <laughs> we could say that. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I liked it whenever he said like, look, man, you're not even going to recognize our next record, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be so different that it's going to be like, man, I can't even believe that, you know? And I think Kid A is one of those records that really like people turn, like turn their heads are like, man, this band is amazing. You know, I know a lot of people got turned on to Kit to Kid A and then went back and listened to everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like that was the record that really kind of skies, they became skies, the limit, the skies, the limit. And that would, that, you know, I kind of, I kind of want that for our band to be like, be able to cross genres and you know you have like all kinds of music fans listening to us and appreciating it from like hip-hop people to you know rock and roll people to you know old old country western music people <laughs> like you know, there's some something in there in every single song that people are like man i just like that because it's good music um but we do want to push ourselves on this record and um we'll see what happens mm-hmm. yeah so hopefully 2017 Early 2017. Yeah. Just in time for n- the next Levitation Fest. Perfect. Free album with purchase? Free album. Easy. Easy. You actually get a free Radiohead album with, our, with a purchase of our album. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, thank you so Wait, much. One for, last thing. Oh, oh, Alex, geez, quote. Oh. Sometimes we don't know if, if it's our music controlling us or our spirit controlling the music. I don't think that you have to understand that. It's okay not to understand. But you're in the middle of this fire and this beautiful thing that's happening all the time when you perform mm. on a on good nights, I guess, assuming. I mean, I think that's like the definition of, of psychedelic music that in a way, in a weird, you know, in a, in a, in a quote, if I could wrap it up in a quote, like you don't really know what's in control, your spirit or the, or, or the music. And that's, uh, that's a really beautiful place to be if you can get there. Um, but it can get pretty cosmic sometimes. I mean, yeah, it can. And, and I think the, the reason why I said it doesn't matter is because, you, you know, you look at a flower and you don't realize, you know, why it's, you know, try to understand its beauty. It just is or whatever. Um, and I, it, the more I try to understand our music, like the more confused I am. <laughs> and like, I'm just like, and I, I like to just kind of just be like, okay, that's what it is. And, you know, like those, those, the Buddhist monks who do those sand painting drawings and mm-hmm. at the very end, they appreciate it for like five minutes and they just wipe it off. And they're like, ah, I'm out yeah. of that. Everything is temporary. Yeah. Temporary. Mm-hmm. But, but leave us with this. Yeah. What is the most powerful moment that you can think of that you've had on stage as a performer? Hmm. The most powerful uh, moment. That's a, I don't even uh, know if I can answer that question. When I, well, I when, we, we, when we floated, when we floated, 
when we were playing we were levitating. We were levitating. I think, uh, <clears throat> I mean, one of my highlights was uh, when, when we sold out the Fillmore and coming back to do an encore to a sold-out crowd at the Fillmore. That was a pretty amazing feeling. Yeah, that was amazing. I, another one that resonated with me is our, the first time we played uh, La Mariquanerie in, in France. Yeah, that was um, our first venture over to Europe or for, by ourselves, headlining. Yeah, headlining. And it was very first show in Europe, and it was sold out and yeah. packed, sweaty. Really, Everybody was just, like, going nuts. It really felt like the ground wasn't under it. Like, not that, like, we were controlling that, but I was like, man, this is, like, you know, that kind of... Um, <laughs> it sounds so funny because there's only 300 people there, but that kind of Beatlesy uh, Met Stadium thing. That's <laughs> yeah, what it felt yeah. like. I was like, oh my god, people really want us to be here, and they were showing it by being really vocal. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah, that, that, that you you really felt that. It's not just seeing it. I mean, no, you, you could be blind it. and just feel it. I can. And it's it's, it's about kind of being in awe and not understanding it too. It's like really like this is crazy. Like, Meanwhile, they you don't understand the language, so you think they're cheering, but they're really saying, "Get the fuck off, <laughs> <of these." laughs> get off you Americans!" <laughs> that's what the that's what they're doing. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, guys. Yeah, They're playing yes. the Shaky Knees Festival today. They could have just chilled easily at, at, at their room, and they went out of their way. It's a great festival, too. I'm, I'm really glad. Yeah, that we're excited. Yeah. We're very proud yeah. of it. Go ahead, Seth. No, no. No, go ahead. Well, thank you. Thank That's you, guys. Thank yeah, you guys. really you guys. appreciate thank it. You. Wish you, you all, the, all the success with everything you guys do. And uh, thanks for sitting here and joining us at Inside Out with Turner and Seth. Alex and Christian from the Black Angels. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. All. Awesome. Adios. Adios. Adios.
Too afraid. 